Welcome to the Healerology Podcast. This is a show about healing, healers, and methods to dissolve emotional, physical, and spiritual challenges. I'm your host, Dominic, a student of life, a sharer of knowledge, and a guide to achieving inner peace. The goal of this show is to teach you how to become your own healer, discover and connect to the power inside of you, and live your best life. So, let's get to healing. Hi, everyone. Here with another episode of the Healology Podcast. And today I'm with Elizabeth D'Alto. I met Elizabeth in Miami, where she's recently moved to, and she was giving a course on communications. And I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to have her on my podcast. And she graciously agreed. So Elizabeth D'Alto, um, I'll let you introduce yourself. I mean, I, the most I picked up from you, um, and this might be like how people least know you, but it seems to be most true, is like you are a mystic and a medicine woman. So, uh, you know, with, with starting with that, if you want to go with that intro, or if you want to give a, a much broader one, please. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm pretty much just am who I am wherever I go. So there's most people know that about me. It's not really a secret. <laughs> um, I have been doing my work in the world now. What year is it? We're in 2021. Mm-hmm. So my developing a body of work around embodiment since 2013. And it originally started with a sensual healing movement modality called Wild Soul Movement. And it has evolved um, to also include pretty much anything under the realm of self-love, healing, wholeness, and liberation. I primarily work with women and we do, you know, embodiment can be anything physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So there's quite a range um, in what we do. And it's super fun. I grew up in New York. I think, were you from New York also, or you just are a 917 person? 917 person. Yeah, I spent some time in New York, about two years. So, you know, pretty much familiar with the boroughs, but not necessarily the the flavor of New York. Before I went to New York, people would say New Yorkers are so mean. And I... I didn't find that the case. I just found that New Yorkers, they were direct and they were very uh, time efficient. So totally, we just don't mess around. One of my favorite things to like illuminate about New Yorkers, especially because I spent some time on the West Coast, is that New Yorkers are kind. We're not necessarily nice. Uh, like we'll do something like help you carry your suitcase up the subway stairs, but maybe not even say a word to you or look in your face, you know, or like... Mm-hmm. I remember I used to like swipe people through the subway. You could tell when someone was a tourist and I'd be like, just go, like get the train, you know, stuff like that. So like, we'll help you out, but we're not going to be really overly ceremonious or coddling about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I grew up in, in Chicago and I've been on both coasts and I was surprised to, to learn that I actually preferred like the East Coast. Uh, yeah. you, know, you know, the energy in New York was like, okay, so you want to like get something done. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. And I found like the energy in the West Coast was like, oh, you want to get something done? It's like, well, you know, I'd love to. uh, (laughs) Let's dance (laughs) around it. Let's see if it's the most, the highest opportunity for me. Like what else might be going on? Yeah, it's, it wasn't my favorite. It was definitely interesting out there, but um, some certainly more oriented towards being an East Coaster. But I was in the West Coast though. I would always love people from Chicago because it felt like a good mix. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, you know, of course, I have, I have the bias of, of the Midwest, and maybe particularly yeah. Chicago, but I feel that, you know, we're, we're very grounded. And, you know, you, there's this phrase, I didn't come up with it, but like Midwest nice. So, you know, it seems to be generally like pleasant people. And I'm, I'm sure there's thousands of people who would say to the contrary, but, you know, that's right, been my right, experience. Right. Yeah. How all generalizations work. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, um, I'm really not a person who takes anything too, too seriously. I think that's really important. I like to keep a sense of humor about things, which may or may not offend some people, but um, (laughs) I'm comfortable with that. My website is called untameyourself.com. So like I'm very comfortable with, you know, ditching anything that would have us conform, comply, stick with the programming we were giving, not question, not think freely and independently not have our own critical thinking or analysis practice. So that's pretty much, how's that for an intro? 
That's that's wonderful. You know that that playfulness is it is it something that's always been there or cultivated? And I'll ask you why because you know in the learnings that I have, like you'll you'll find I'm a person that will go like to to endless workshops, you know, trying to get like more more information, and of course exploring my own intuition. But yeah, I came across several teachers that um, you know highlighted to me that playfulness is actually a very deep form of spirituality because you're, you're not following any dogma or, or rigidity, which means that you have discovered truth for yourself. And you also realize the kind of cosmic joke of it all that, you know, we, we came here specifically to be imperfect and to face challenges, not to do things perfectly or not to have access to, you know, all these highest realms of consciousness. And we, we, we come from there. That's, that's our norm. And so in this, physical space where things are much denser we have these emotions we get to deal with and these quote-unquote challenges that you know we can get caught up in things but I find that if one is not caught up in the regular goings on of life like one is playful so your playfulness was it was it always there or did you do you have to curate it always there (laughs) I, I think I'm pretty sure I came out of the womb like this I've always my dad my family is hilarious. Like they're just very funny people, like really great senses of humor um, on, on both sides in all directions. Um, they have their array of dysfunctions, but humor and especially playfulness. I certainly get that part from my dad. And then whenever I go spend time with my family in Puerto Rico, like I, I really see, especially like on the, on the, on the joyful, on the prioritizing, having fun and making sure that is part of life certainly comes. And that's my dad's side of the family. So. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, I didn't have that background. It's almost, I wouldn't say the opposite. My, my dad could play. He did have a sense of humor, but he was really, really more on the strict side. I'm not sure if the Enneagram, like, are you familiar with the Enneagram? All I know is that I'm an eight with a seven wing. Okay. All right. That means you're the challenger type. Uh, so I'm I'm a type one, which is more like perfectionist. You know, it's got to be a certain way, which, of course, I'm trying to unlearn as life goes on. Um, on on your courses that you offer, you know, I went to your site and I was just amazed at the breadth of things that you offer. And you even offer like trainings for other people to be, to be trainers. Um, I'm not sure if everyone in my audience would know what embodiment is. And I may not know from like the definition you're coming from. Um, But, you know, I know that people find a lot of growth when they get out of their head, get out of their conditioning, and they actually get more in touch with their bodies. and, And they're able to identify what they feel and where they feel it in their body. You know, I've definitely heard and experienced that emotions are, are felt in the body, not in the head. So, you know, someone was curious about embodiment or they're listening to you and they're saying, well, I mean, so I have a body, but I'm a really good thinker. So, you yeah. know, what, like, what, what can you share with them about embodiment in terms of like how they might experience growth with that? So when I talk about embodiment, one of my favorite things to say, and you kind of already said it is it's about getting out of your head and into your body. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about that, it's, it's more of like coming into an order of operations that really serves all humans better. We're not asking you to throw away your head. Like there are a lot of spiritual teachings and teachers that it almost seems like they want you to just like ditch your ego, ditch your logic. And it's like, no, like we need, we need balance, harmony and integration in all things. But what most people are programmed to do is override the wisdom of the body with logic and rationale, which the mind is programmed right? The mind can be beautiful. You can have incredible intellect and ability to analyze, which is something I mentioned earlier is important to me. But the way I like to help people work with that is that we tune into our bodies first and last. So it's like, what's the wisdom coming from the body? What's coming from my feelings, my my feeling states, my senses, my emotions, because these are different things, right? Sensations can be connected to emotions, but sometimes you just get a feeling, right? And, mm-hmm. and the words emotions and feelings get 
conflated sometimes. And it doesn't even matter that everyone's operating from the same definition, but it's like, okay, let's be tuning into, you know, what is our nervous system saying? Where's our energy? How are we feeling? We feel lit up, expanded, depleted, constricted, you know, when we get these hunches and these knowings, maybe I don't trust that person or wow, that person's amazing. Or I'll give you an example. I always love putting things into context. I noticed, I, I love working with symbols, which can be an embodiment tool because you know a symbol is visual and then that will connect to our mind and our memory and other things. And we'll be able to place it in context or what it means to us. And I saw this woman at the gym yesterday with this incredible serpent tattoo on her back and serpents are a big symbol for me. I'm actually even wearing a serpent ring. I know people are listening, not really watching, but um, I love the serpent symbolism. So I noticed her tattoo that I'm sitting, I live in Miami beach and South beach. I'm sitting at Dr. Smood and there she goes. She walks by again. Then in the afternoon, I'm down at my freaking pool and my own building. And here she comes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I saw this chick three times today in yes. like the span of four or five hours. Let me say hi, because yeah. you don't run into people for three times in four or five hours without, yeah. I mean, I don't know how other people operate, but I don't operate like that. No, you, first, you're obligated to say hello at that point. Right. At that point, you're like, hi, I don't know why I've been running into you all day. So I meet her. She lives on the floor below me. Her name's Sophia. She's lovely. I'm sure we'll bump into each other. But um, there's a feeling, like there's a feeling that goes with that, right? Like when we know, when we just know something or when there's been all these synchronicities and we can have these senses of being connected to something that's bigger than ourselves, so when we allow ourselves to get out of our heads and into our body, if I was a very heady person, I would have been like, ah, oh, what a crazy coincidence. And just like chalked it up without connecting it to anything more meaningful, because maybe I wouldn't be connected to like the sensations in my body that are like, I'm getting goosebumps or mm -hmm. I didn't have this, but one of my ways that my body tells me like, yes, or this is important is I call it tears of truth. When I just start crying for no seeming reason and I'm like, ooh, there must be something here going on mm -hmm. that I need yeah. to pay attention to right now. So, so it, it's this, it's being able to become literate around your emotions. What are you feeling? Where do you feel it? Is it connected to an emotional experience or is it just some kind of like sensation moving through you? I call it as well, learning to speak your body's own unique language of the senses, because like what those tears of truth signify for me might be different for somebody else. So a big thing for me in embodiment is that unique language of your own body, because for me to say, oh, I always feel my intuition in my gut, other people might not. Someone mm -hmm. might get it more in their heart. Some people might get direct knowing. Some people might be more visual or see things. So there's also a really incredible connection and bridge with the body and the mind to the intuition, to the unseen realms, to more spiritual things. And so to be able to integrate physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual or energetic, we really need to be in our bodies because a lot of the information we're receiving are going to occur to us in like a felt or a physical sense. Is that all? It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot. And, you know, as you're talking, you know, I was trying to think of probably where people naturally are, where you encounter them when they come to you, because... Um, you know, I'd say particularly in, in the West, you know, people are more mental, they're more logic, they're more left brain. And, you know, I'm curious your thoughts. Well, I've got two questions, but the first one is, you know, if there's all this power in being in touch with the body and knowing like whether you have like, you know, feeling in the, in the chest or heart or the gut, um, why do people not develop this because it seems like a very fundamental core sense but what what happens is that it's like this room in in someone's house that they never go into and they're like oh I'll just be in the rooms of like logic and, and left brain um it's not that we don't develop it it's that we all come in having it for the most part perfectly intact mm. and it gets stripped away oh. and whittled away at Think about how so many parents raise children. I mean, I have a little niece right now. I don't know my own kids and I don't want them. I love kids though. Um, just not a path I want to choose. And um, watching my little niece, it's actually been fascinating to watch how my parents interact with her and being like, oh, that's why me and my brother have had to work on this stuff. Because like one of the things they do, for example, when I FaceTime, my niece's name is Ruby. I'll be talking to Ruby and either my dad or my mom will be there. And I'll be like, Ruby, what'd you have for lunch? And without even letting her speak, one or the other will be like, oh, tell Lizzie what you had and, and tell her you had this and this. 
they don't even let her speak, right? They start telling her what to say. And I literally had to have a conversation with them like, hey, let her talk, help her, prompt her if she needs it. But how am I going to build a relationship with her? How is she going to have conversations with people if you're always telling her what to say before she can think for herself? Yeah. And that's just one example of a way adults start to impose what they think is right or best or proper or appropriate on little kids whose instincts are intact. Right. And then adults start putting their fear. Don't do that. You'll get hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't get there. Don't trust anyone. I had that message from every angle of my family. Don't trust anyone. Hi there. This is Dominic, and I'm interrupting my own podcast to bring your attention to my four-week one-on-one coaching program. This program is for women who need dating results that are different and better than the ones they're getting. Let me help you with all my tools of self-development, spirituality, and hundreds of client engagements to transform you into a woman that dates with confidence and joy and easily attracts the partner that is perfect for you. Dating can be fun and you can be successful at it every time. Let me show you how. To learn more, go to my Instagram at innerpeaceadvisor and click the link in my bio or just DM me. Yeah, yeah. Out in the world, like, one of the things I've had to work on for so many years is hypervigilance. And listen, in some cases it serves, but in a lot of cases it really doesn't. It gave me control tendencies that I've had to let go of. I have two tattoos on my body that remind me not to control shit all the time, you know, like <laughs> surrender, allow, like let grace come in and like have its way with your life too, you know? And so that's really one thing that then we have to remember. So it's not even necessarily a development. It gets, like we come in, we, most of us have it mm-hmm. perfectly intact I say, I put an asterisk on most because of course some people are born with developmental things or brain things or neurological things that might not give them access, um, the same access that a lot of people have. We have to consider that. But then it gets stripped away by, or, you know, families of origin, schooling, right? Mm-hmm. School really just teaches us how to operate in this system, do it this way, this is right, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Which another example, if you've ever known anyone with learning disabilities or anyone who's more right brain than left brain, like my brother, for example, is so brilliant and so creative, so incredible with his hands. Traditional school wasn't for him. He never got good grades, but he's not an unintelligent person. His intelligences just occur differently. Yeah. But he couldn't thrive in school. I could because I'm very, I can be very mental. Mm-hmm. But so, so all these things, we kind of get put in these boxes, stripped away, fit in. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. People develop shame. People shut down. So many of us have connection to our intuition and our feelings and our senses when we're little and we see things and we say things and adults are telling us, don't say that. That's rude. You know, don't ask that lady that, or no, you don't see that, or that's not real. You know what I mean? Oh, you have an imaginary friend. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Maybe that kid was talking to angels and shit. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, you 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 don't know. I mean, I I love the point that you brought up that you know we come into the the world with these like abilities because you know I, I find in working with people it's not so much like you know teaching them new stuff. It's it's really just stripping away stuff to uncover what's already there. Exactly. And you know the the conditioning in society. I mean, you know, it is useful to know that the hot stove is hot and may burn you and stuff. And like you said, hypervigilance, you know, I grew up in the South side of Chicago. It, it can, <laughs> it can serve for sure. Yeah. But I also think it's really important to have that fluidity and, you know, you can use that tried and true of what you hear today, like be present, be present to the circumstances that are presenting themselves in the moment. And that really unfolds the richness of, of life. And, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, people get to a certain age, whatever that is, you know, something in the twenties, thirties, forties, maybe even later, but you know, they, they, they live in their conditioning and they're getting whatever results that they're getting from that. And then all of a sudden they run into something. And usually it's kind of like, uh, it could be, it could be gradual, but a lot of times it's, it's swift, you know, like a relationship ends or like uh, a promotion doesn't occur. Are you know it's 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 the shift where you know these people who are not in touch with what they came in the world with like they they don't have this other gear to go to, 
they they have it, but they have no awareness of it, no access to it. And so then they start having like a lot of a lot of like questioning and stuff. So I'm I'm curious, who who do you typically find that is coming to you and saying, like, Elizabeth, I, I think you have answers for me. Can can you help? So it's always been a wide range for me and the way that occurs. So I've also had a podcast since 2015. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people, I don't even know how to help people find their way to podcasts because I've never really been a podcast listener. And you know, I've been <laughs> on social media and all the places. So all such a range of people come into my world through those mediums. Mm-hmm. And, but it's typically women anywhere from their twenties to their seventies. Wow. Already, like, and the reason my website is called Untame Yourself and my stuff is called Wild Soul is for me, untaming is about peeling back at all that programming and conditioning, reclaiming what's always been there, connecting to that, having to, having to heal wounds, you know, turning your wounds into your wisdom and things like that. And so, like, just like you were saying, it often takes an impetus or a series of them for people to be uncomfortable enough or in enough pain to be like, I got to do something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some, but there's also all kinds of traumas and tragedies and loss and things that have to happen. I call these like the cosmic two by fours, right? <laughs> Once you have your first big one, which is usually some people might call that like an awakening or a breakthrough or a breakdown or whatever the hell people want to call it, then you're usually kind of sensitive to like, okay, like if something starts to really go off in my life, or like chaos starts to increase, I need to kind of pull back and be like, what the hell's going on and how am I participating in this? But until someone has that first one where they are able to become conscious and aware that like maybe the shit that I've been doing has not been serving me, Mm -hmm. um, people can just operate unconsciously for a very long time. Um, And so I typically find when it's younger women, it's because they've kind of like grown up and seen that And they're already aware that like, it doesn't work. I don't want to live the way my parents lived or the women in my family lived or, you know, whatever, or something happened to them. Um, For women in their thirties and forties, often, not always, because not everyone has kids, but often I get a lot, a lot, a lot of moms who have like completely lost their identity to motherhood, Mm -hmm. whether they are partnered or not. And they're like, I don't even know who the hell I am outside of being a mom. And or whether it's a working mom or a child-free woman with an intense career, some women lose themselves in their career. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's these things that we hinge our identities to. So when something happens to kind of pierce through the veil of, of how we see ourselves or what we've attached our identities to, to feel worthy or valuable or significant, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, damn. What else is what else is going on? What have I been missing out on? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's that whole feeling of being uncomfortable or becoming more uncomfortable. You know, I, I find somehow the way things develop, it's it, there's this constant desire for self-preservation or constant desire to to feel to feel safe, and it's it's just such a core part of of the program. And then, so people are going through life with that and they form these identities around this. The identity makes them, them feel safe. And then the, the something happens and they realize that maybe they're not who they thought they are. They shouldn't be as, 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 as tied to it. And then there's also this thing of, it's like, well, I, I can see, they start to see what they want or, or start to see how to get there. But then they come to the determination like, wow, that's, that's going to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, that, that looks like I may need to change relationships. I may need to move geographically. I may need to change careers. I spent all my life trying to be X. And now I think like I need to be Y. Like I know how to be X and it's killing me. And like I want, I, I'm pretty sure I want to be Y, but I have no idea how to be Y. I have no like skills there. Um, how do you, how do you help people bridge that getting to that like why place without without running away? Because you know sometimes, and it's rare at this point because you know I do a pretty good job of like filtering for my clients. But I used to think originally when clients showed up, like they were there and they wanted to work <laughs> with with me like throughout. And then and then I realized like oh wow, some clients are disappearing. 
<laughs> and and they disappear because they're like, yeah, I, I'm 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 not ready. Like I in in totally. Well, that people with no context for what the work actually looks like or feels like will be like, yeah, sure, of course I want to fix this or heal this or you know whatever, move through this thing. But then when they realize what it's actually going to take, the missing thing that a lot of people don't have is humility. Mm. And the reason they don't have humility is because they don't know how to process or deal with their shame. So Mm. shame is at the root of a lot of that. Shame, blame, guilt, resentment, like all these things, grief, anger, things that most people don't have playbooks for managing or working through, but are often like running the program behind the scenes. And so a lot of it is helping people to feel their feelings. Um, But kind of like to go back to the embodiment conversation earlier, one of the things that I really always harp on is the importance of discernment and self-trust, which always leads to boundaries. Because when we know what we're a yes for, what we're a no for, and what resonates for us and what doesn't, if that's all we ever knew, what I'm a yes for, what I'm a no for, what resonates for me and what doesn't in any given moment, because that will, of course, change over time in our seasons and cycles of life, no matter how anyone identifies in all the different ways we have identities, um, we could be making choices that are aligned for us for real on the mm-hmm. high level and, and not having to have all these discomfort, chaos, inconvenience, misalignments that are so, so, so painful. So it's like, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable either way. If, if, if something wakes you up from your slumber of your conditioning and you decide to be tug those threads and be like, huh, who am I really here to be? What am I really here to do? Mm-hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable one way or another whether you want to go down the avoidance path or whether you want to dive right into it. So yeah. it's like, we don't really get, and people think like ignorance is bliss. It's really not what's often going on with people who are leading these lives where it seems like they don't have a care in the world is they're just completely dissociated, disconnected, not dealing with things. And often those things are coming out sideways in passive aggressive ways, or they have some really shadowy behaviors that no one is talking about or no one knows about. Yeah. And I, I find another way also, it, it comes down to um, health, uh, mental and, and oh, emotional 100%. health. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm always fascinated, you know, personally about just say like healing and like how one gets better, particularly fascinated about like energy work and stuff. And so, you know, time and time again, you know, people say like, you know, it will manifest in the emotional, uh, energetic body first. And then it will manifest like physically. And so by the time something shows up physically, you know, so that's like, you know, gastrointestinal problems, irritable bowels, problems, psoriasis, skin, like you, you name it. And, you know, everything that happened like physically, like it's, it's been there for a while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of ways that people deal with it is like they mask it. And so there's a lot of like symptom care. There's not like root, root cause care. Um, and so, you know, so I, I could go on about the physical side of things, but could you expand a little bit on that when you said like shadowy behavior, because, you know, everyone thinks like they're actually doing the good thing. I think most people, they see themselves as a good actor, you know, they're, they're right, you know, which is a whole conversation. Um, you know, they're not harming anyone. So, or so they think. Yeah. Yeah. So can you expand on like uh, what, what falls under that category of shadowy behavior that may come out? So I love this because I actually don't believe that there, I don't believe there's toxic people. Mm. I believe there's only toxic behaviors, right? Okay. People yeah. love to label that he's toxic. She's toxic. Listen, trauma. One of the most important things to understand is we all have trauma. Mm-hmm. Everyone has some, some level, at least some modicum of trauma, if not some, massive amount of trauma, so many different types of traumas. I also don't believe trauma exists in a hierarchy, right? Some people do that. I did that for a number of years, actually. I, I, my family didn't have a ton of money growing up, but we were fine. And then as I got older, my mom was very successful in her work and we were more than fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never had to worry about where my next meal was coming from. I got spanked a couple of times. I can count on one hand how many times anyone ever hit me growing up. Yeah. Um, I was never sexually assaulted or anything like that. So all these kind of like physical traumas that people associate or like physical neglects or things that people really associate with trauma and abuse. I didn't have that stuff. 
but I grew up in a very volatile environment, very emotionally abusive environment. Adults were fighting with each other and screaming all the time. They were also great too, like so much mixed messaging. And so I actually have complex PTSD from the environment I grew up in. Okay. And that, that stuff, it's kind of like when people talk about folks having like chronic illnesses, but that are like invisible illnesses, like Mm -hmm. you can look at someone and they appear to be perfectly healthy, but they have all kinds of shit going on, like with their nervous system or, or other things, or maybe they have chronic pain and whatever. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff that operates like that in people. And when people have unhealed or unresolved or trauma that they're not even aware of, it's going to come through in their behaviors, how they're treating people, whether or not they can take care of themselves. It'll come through in self-worth. It'll come out in their relationships. It'll come out in self-sabotage. So there's just so many. So when I say like it comes out sideways, that's what I mean, right? Or some people, like you say, these things develop into pathologies, which read as like mental health conditions or disorders Mm -hmm. and things like that, which then can really mess with people's physical, mental, or emotional health, which can get in the way of their livelihood, which can get in the way of relationships. I mean, it could really wreak havoc in people's lives as they just roll around unaware of like, what is like the ticker tape going on in the background that's actually eliciting their behaviors, their choices. I call it the ABCs, right? Actions, behaviors, and choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of it is unconscious. And, and once you realize that it's a, it's a reason to have so much compassion for people, because something I say all the time is like, that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. So yes. for example, many years ago, I was, I dated someone seriously. We lived together who was quite emotionally abusive I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to diagnose this person with narcissistic personality disorder. Certainly exhibited a lot of narcissistic behaviors. Mm -hmm. But part of the reason why was he was raised basically in a religious cult. His mom was super nasty and super intense and super hard on him and his brother. And like, that's just, he grew up in an environment never feeling like he was loved or good enough, which evolved into a lot of trauma, which evolved into a lot of adaptive trauma responses and behaviors. And that's how he showed up in relationship with people. Yeah. yeah he wasn't uh, a bad person. He wasn't like, people be like, what an asshole. I'm like, he's actually not an asshole. He literally couldn't do anything differently if he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it gets back to the core of the adaptive behavior, which you mentioned before. It's, it's this intense desire to avoid shame. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's the shame. And I don't think a lot of times people are walking around necessarily in touch with that they have shame. But it's, but it's in the background and it's like, it just drives everything. It goes back to that self-preservation because like if one, it really does sit in the shame that one feels, wow, is that unpleasant? Wow, is it uncomfortable? And like, rather than do that, people just say, well, I'm going to do this behavior completely unconsciously. So I don't have to feel that feeling of shame because yeah, it's, it's that adaptive or maladaptive behavior. And this is one of the reasons I love embodiment, because if you learn how to breathe through uncomfortable feelings in pain. If you learn how to move things through your body, if you learn energetically how to release things, mm-hmm. um, you can be with anything. That's how you build resiliency. Yeah, You build capacity in the system to be with discomfort. Um, and you also learn how your brain works. Like you can tell, I had an experience last summer where I had a total, my friend Rachel Maddox calls it a trauma spell. I hadn't been triggered and I hadn't had a trauma response like this in like a decade. And it hit me like out of nowhere. And it was, it was really, you could feel that like limbic response, right? Mm -hmm. Like that it happens in the brain, that fear part of the brain. I think it's called the amygdala. I'm not great with the science. Um, The science terms, sometimes I mix them up, takes over. And it was literally like I was watching a movie. I was like, bitch, you don't behave like this. <laughs> what are you doing? But I couldn't even, there was, I couldn't in that moment. Yeah. Could not stop myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how core some of these things are. And, and like, you can see yourself. I recall, um, you know, in a, in a previous iteration of myself, there was a work meeting I was in and, um, you, you know, my, my part of my drama is like, I, I believe I know the right way to do things. So, you know, it's like, you know, dealing with that. So I'm in this meeting and, you know, there was this like exceedingly obvious path to go. And then, um, so I was, so I was going to be kind of a checkbox meeting and we'd move on. And then I was getting like, you know, opposition to these, this, 
this decision that I knew was the right one to, to, to make. And, you know, it's funny, at a certain point, I felt like my lower lip, like quivering and my jaw shaking. And I just felt like, you know, like blood racing through my body. And, and in that moment, I said, wow, now I didn't understand how people like have heart attacks at work before. <laughs> but, but now I get it because I was, I was so enraged. I mean, just like, I don't know where this anger came from. So what was that phrase you used from your friend, Rachel Maddox? Uh, a trauma? Trauma spell. Trauma spell. So yeah, I'll call it trauma spell. And what I did, I actually, I excused myself from the meeting. I, I said, um, hold on, I, I, I need to step out for a few minutes, but I'll, I'll be back. So like, you know, give, give me five. And I, I stood, I stepped out, went to the bathroom, splashed some water on my face. <laughs> and you know, just tried to bring myself back. And like, you know, luckily I was able to say like, okay, what am I doing? And so I, I didn't sort it out right there. But yeah. yeah, I was like, okay, you know, you need to need to get a hold of yourself there. Another term for that is being flooded. Mm. Being flooded. It was great that you were able, it's an indicator of any any work that you have done that you were even able to pause and go, I need to step out. Right. Some people mm-hmm. don't have access to even that. Yeah. And they just fly off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in in, in my work, I like to, to focus on on relationships. Like a lot. So, um, you know, I was hoping like maybe get some of your insight, you know, for, for the audience uh, there, because, you know, you mentioned, you know, if people don't have this awareness, you know, it can wreck a lot of things, you know, one thing, you know, career abundance type thing, but also like, like relationships. And, you know, I, I love how you framed your previous one where you said, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to diagnose the person, but, but he did seem to have these traits that kind of fall in this framework. Um, and when I work with people, I, I, I want to give them a space where they can acknowledge where they, they want to about their partner. But I'm, I'm so insistent that they also acknowledge that, you know, there was something within them that pulled that partner to them in the first place. Yeah. And can you expand on that or give your, your perspective? Because when I work with people, I essentially tell them, I said, so that, that person that you met and that person you would hope not to meet again, like if you work on yourself, you'll reach the point in life where it's impossible for you to meet that type of person. Okay. That's yeah. how much your energies will repulse each other. So yeah. can you expand on that space, please? Yeah, I love that. Um, so there's this thing that you might hear people say a lot that like everyone is your mirror. Mm. And that's a big yes end for me because not every mirror is a direct reflection. There's this woman I've been following on Instagram for a long time. Her name is Miriam Hasna. And one of the things that she says is like, some people are out here and they're funhouse mirrors. You know, <laughs> like you're looking in a mirror and what you're seeing in the reflection is like super distorted, right? So not everyone is a direct reflection. I remember years ago, I heard this term, if you spot it, you got it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not into that either because my partner who had all these like emotionally abusive qualities and all these narcissistic behaviors, it's, it's not that I had those, it's not that I don't have them, but for me, where I pulled that in is because our traumas want to heal. Mm-hmm. So we will attract what we need to face. My friend, Terry Cole, who's a brilliant therapist, um, has this great book called Boundary Boss. She calls this repeating realities, right? And anyone who's dated knows what this is like. You keep meeting similar people. Why do I keep meeting unavailable people? Why do I keep meeting people who do this? Why do I keep people who do that? They probably have something in common with your parents or like mm-hmm. some experience you had growing up that affected you in a way that your older adult self or perhaps your inner child crying from the inside is being like, I, can we please heal this? Can we do differently? But the only way to do it is to face it again and mm-hmm. do it differently. So as these, actually, when I got out of that relationship, my friend Terry, who's a therapist, was like, hi, we're going to do some therapy because I'm not going to let you, you're not going to repeat this. You're not going to get in a relationship with another man like this on my watch, not while I'm in your life. You know, (laughs) I got to learn how to like, cool, what were the red flags? What were my own feelings and sensations in my bodies? What were my alarms Mm -hmm. that rather than registering, one of the interesting things about the brain and healing is that 
we will be drawn towards what feels familiar, even if what feels familiar is not good for us, because familiarity reads as safety and comfort. So even if it's abusive, even if it's awful, we will still be drawn to it because again, it's, it's what we know. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 some, and the, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, just briefly. And sometimes we're passionately drawn to it. Yes. You know, because and, it, it's exceedingly familiar. <laughs> and that's actually, there's another, I'm an, I'm an avid, I'm a big nerd. I'm an avid reader. One of my favorite books on dating is called deeper dating by a man named Ken page who I got to interview many years ago. He's wonderful. And one of the things, one of the distinctions he made in that book that I loved, I mean, it was really life-changing for me, was attractions of inspiration versus attractions of deprivation. And mm. one of the things he talked about, because so often, and if anyone's ever used dating apps, so many people will write in their dating app profile that they're looking for chemistry. And chemistry can literally be one of the most deceptive, misleading, dangerous things out there. Because chemistry is exactly that. It's chemical. Mm-hmm. All it is is attraction. It is not factoring in compatibility. It's not factoring in safety. Like you don't even know anything about people sometimes. And you just feel this like, why am I so drawn to this person? And one of my favorite things about spiritual people and my friggin' self included, Dominic, I have done this shit so many times. We love to over-spiritualize stuff. <gasps> Maybe we were together in a past life. Maybe yes. that's my soulmate, my twin flame, like yes. you know, whatever. And it's like, no, bitch. Maybe that reminds you of your abusive parent, or <laughs> like yeah, this yeah. cycle of trauma that's just been repeating in your family for generations, and you're so compelled to it because your system wants to break the pattern, break the cycle, and heal from it. Which, by the way, I just want to remind people, I'm from Staten Island. Bitch is like a term of endearment for me. <laughs> it's not a derog- I say it all the time, and I have to remember that sometimes people are like, "Why is she saying that?" Um, She's <laughs> My spirit guides are also from Staten Island. So um, we'll, 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 we'll continuously be attracted to things. And so we're like, I got to do something. To, like, let me break this pattern. Let me, let me realize like exactly what you said. When I am so like magnetically, almost like obsessively or compulsively drawn to something, that is usually a really good indicator to like, let me hit the brakes and see what else is going on here. Because yeah. this is, even though it could be like, feel like so romantic and so hot and so meaningful, it's often like a danger zone. Not yeah. always, right? So that's why we, I just say like, pause, back up, be like, what else is going on here? Um, so that, that is one thing. Um, another thing that I love talking about. So again, let me just complete that thought because I went on a tangent. People being our mirror, people are not always mirroring us exactly back to us, often they're mirroring things that we need to face and we need to deal with Mm -hmm. and we need to see. They're showing up to reflect something to us that's up for us that needs to be healed. And this is one of my favorite things to remind people about healing. You don't need to be an excavator. You don't need to be out here going to every workshop being like, do I have that problem? Is that me? Or like you see someone post about something and then Googling it and being like self-identifying or like sometimes convincing yourself you have an issue that you may or may not. If something needs your attention, I promise you it'll be obvious if you're willing to pay attention, right? Like recurring. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to add, you know, before you finish this or go to the next point, like it's what uh, a quote from Osho that, you know, I like. And I'm not the biggest Osho fan, but man, does he say a lot of good stuff. And I'm 100% with you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the things he said, and of course, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, like, you know, one day you will realize that the relationship is not about sex. It's about enlightenment. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Osho, 100%. I mean, if, yeah. if you want to accelerate your spiritual development and if you pay attention, there's, there's no container I've found on this planet that will bring you to a higher state of awareness faster than being in a relationship with someone and being really mindful of your triggers and, and finding out why they're there. 100%. Uh, uh. I find running a business to be similar to that, but then <laughs> going to hit all your freaking buttons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually going through that my, myself because, you know, I've done, you know, various things with spiritual development. And I, I feel like now, like my path to spiritual development is just growing my business. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel it pulls in all the different aspects 
you know, it's always there. It's always going to make me face myself. You know, I, 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 I think it's the strongest, you know, for me at this point in my life, it's, it's the strongest meditation. It's the strongest medicine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's going to make me, you know, face like, you know, all the different parts of myself that I'm not, I'm not facing. So, um, you know, before I interrupted you, you were closing up a point, but you, you also were hinting that you were going to make a second one about relationships. Is that still there? Or? Yeah. Give me a second. It's lingering. I can catch it. Hmm. Maybe not. We talked about the mirror thing. Yeah. You're saying not, not, not everyone is, is a mirror. And you're also said that if people pay attention, they don't have to go to all these workshops. Like they can for sure find what's going on with themselves. I promise you something is up that wants your attention. Like we're all like an endless Pandora's box of shit that wants healing. And not that we should treat ourselves like projects and fixer uppers and feel like we're we are always having to do like, we really do also just need to integrate and live our lives sometimes and appreciate how far we've come and relish in that. In fact, celebrate it. But um, what was the other thing I was going to say about relationships? No, it kind of, it left the building for now. If if it needs to be said, it'll come back. Well, I'll ask you another point on that because, you know, let's say, you know, persons are getting a lot of like uh, uh, awareness and they're like, okay, I understand what's going on in relationships. I'm learning about myself. You know, I'm, I'm attracting a person who's kind of equivalent to like where I'm at, at least like right now. I had a conversation with a woman at one point and she, she obviously had a lot of self-awareness. You know, she asked me, well, is a relationship really only just about self-healing and that's, that's it? And I didn't really have a, what I felt was like a good conclusion for her because there's definitely self-healing that can occur from a relationship. But, you know, ultimately I wasn't sure what was necessarily there beyond it because, you know, obviously, you know, the stuff that we hear in popular songs on the radio, that's not it. You know, the Disney happily ever after, that's not it. So since we don't have anything in, in common consciousness or mass consciousness about what a relationship truly has to offer, I mean, Osho offers enlightenment, good luck. Um, what, what are your thoughts on like, you know, if you're, you're talking to a woman, you're actually going to tell her like, you know, what a relationship ultimately has to offer for her? Companionship. No. Humans are not built to do life alone. We need people. We're not out here. We need, we need a, we need a tribe. We need a village. You know, some people don't like to use the word tribe out of the context of indigenous cultures, but when I use it, I just mean we need people. We need community. We are communal beings, right? Mm -hmm. Even people who are introverted and like, I don't know if anyone's into human design or if you are, I love human design. And my part of my profile is I'm a six, two. And Mm -hmm. that too means hermit. I need an extraordinary amount of, solitude and alone time, which surprises a lot of people because I'm not necessarily an introvert. I'm very extroverted in specific contexts when I want to be, but I can, I have the energy for that because I spend so much time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm a three, five in that design. Yeah. So I, you know, martyr heretic, I, I say stuff that people want to hear, but they don't really want to (laughs) hear. And and I think that five piece, you get projected on a lot, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. People people are always coming down on me and finding fault with me for, like, their expectations of me. Like, I don't know why they even came up with them in the first place, but they, yeah. they were there. And then, you know, amazing not meeting people's on-voice expectations, you know? <laughs> oh, totally. Watch yeah. out for that. It happens all the time. Um, so- but to come back to your question, though, we also... Speaking, I mean, we could we could talk about this in the terms of like re-indigenizing ourselves. Mm. Another thing that especially Western culture has done to people is gotten us away, like isolated us. Not like long before a friggin' pandemic happened. Look at how people like the the family unit, right? Or people just live in their little boxes and they get out of their one box, their house, to get into their other box, their car to go to their other box, their office or their job or whatever. And like, where's the village? You know, I think about kids who have to go to like after school programs and stuff 
other than just like being in the village where like the children are our children, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're taking care of, oh, someone's having a hard time. Cool. There's food, the village versus, well, if your family's struggling, your family's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I definitely didn't have what I call that the village thing growing up, but I remember there was a block I grew up on um, and we we wound up moving, but I had brothers, but you know, there's another family there and they had like a bunch of sons and whatever. So we're kind of in somewhat, and yeah. not as much as it could be, but, you know, always kind of in each other's place, you know, hanging out with each other. Everyone knew like the parents and stuff. And, you know, it, it was a cozy block and I'm not saying it even expand, extended beyond that, but there, there was a, a lot of feeling of comfort, comfort and security. And I remember, you know, my mom, she like, you know, dropped me off and she was working. And like many years back, she came, I, I felt so guilty about it. Like I was leaving and I said like, mom, like, let me, let me remove that guilt from you. I was fine. It was, it was great. I, 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 I had a great time. I knew who you were dropping me off with. Like we hung out like all the time. She, she was a great mother too. She had already raised kids. I said, it was, it was fun for me. Yeah, totally. Mom guilt is real though. Um, yeah. I think growing up, we were so lucky that my mom's parents lived really close to us. I spent almost every single day of my elementary school, often middle school too, at my grandparents' house. Yeah. We ate dinner at my grandparents' house. We like, you know, rode our bikes around the block there, did our homework there. Like I was able to play sports because my grandpa drove me all over friggin' Staten Island to go to anything that, you know, if, if my grandparents weren't there, I don't know what we would have done. I was dating someone last year who was a single dad and he had like a a very young son who was two. And he originally was from Queens. His family had moved to Atlanta and he was in LA because he Mm. was in the entertainment industry. And he was obviously separated from the baby's mom. He had no, like he had no, and he had a handful of friends. Yeah. But then you really see it once the pandemic hit, he literally had like, it was, it was him and and this kid. And he, he came into full custody at a certain point. And it was just like him and his kid 24 seven. Yeah. No, so like, I know, don't know I, how people do that, but a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I don't know how people do that either. I mean, I've seen many couples, you know, they're in a, in a state or a city where they don't have any other family and they yeah. start having kids and they feel like, you know, super isolated and stuff. But, and, but you know, before we get or go too much in the, in the village, because, you know, so the question, you know, began with like, you know, what's relationship for? And like you said, well, companionship. And then you went to like village, which, which I totally get, but typically when, when people think of like the, the, the relationship, you know, that's the container of just like, you know, two people. Now, as I said, you know, like, you know, I can quote Osho and I see some of the stuff he, he's done, but I don't think everyone's like, like into that. So, you know, Osho was, you know, he was, I says, I'm going to have my commune. We're going to have men and women. There'll be relationships there, but there'll be no marriage. And there will be no like, you know, like ownership of each other. So, you know, he was, I don't know exactly what he was like a fan of, but he was just like, you know, people are with each other because, you know, they enjoy being with each other. You know, it's not like you belong to me, I belong to you. So that's maybe too, too advanced or too something else for this conversation. But when you say like companionship and you go to village, but if we just bring it back to, you know, uh, you know, two people together. Um, is it, is it, is it still just a companionship you feel is like, you know, what, what there's to, to offer or fundamentally what there is to offer in relationships? I think the reason I segued into village is because even people, two people in a relationship, mm-hmm. they need, why do people get married? Why are there ceremonies where you invite your friends and family to come witness and bless your union? Hmm. that's not just to have a frigging party that's because you make a commitment so i think this is really another reason to learn commitment devotion steadiness like i know there's so many people who stay in relationships that probably weren't great but there is something to be said about time in the field there is something to be said about making a relationship last there is something to be said about existing and working through the seasons and cycles in relationship, right? What if someone goes through a really hard time and then your partner is there for you and then you go through a really hard time and then they're like, there's different phases. And for people who have kids, I watch what changes for my friends when their kids are really little, their friends start to get bigger. 
the kids start to get more free. The parents start to get some freedom back. But these are all things that they're doing together. It's like being on a team. Yeah. And yeah. so, and it's it's also about like intimacy. And I know one of Osho's famous books is called Intimacy and I've never really read the whole thing. But um, we can't, we need these mirrors because none of us see ourselves accurately. Mm-hmm. And so, and the other thing is, again, even why we need a village when we're in relationships, because sometimes we need someone else to be like, what's going on with you two? That doesn't seem right. <laughs> right. Or like, yeah. why, why, why are you guys talking to each other that way? Like what, what's happening? You know, like there's some accountability, there's some support, there's being able to bounce things off of people mm-hmm. so that you can get a perspective you might not have had. Because I think one of the things we see with modern relationships is especially in dating app culture, which is kind of like Amazon prime for humans. Mm-hmm. It's just like always more where that came from. And this goes beyond intimate relationships as well, but our culture is just so willing to toss people away Yeah. before we go, what, what could we do here? Yeah. Could, like we are so low again, as a culture, we're making some sweeping generalizations here, but it's pretty true in a lot of cases at conflict resolution at being able to have restorative practices, repair ruptures in relationships. And so I think intimate relationship are opportunities to stay and learn how to do those things in the hardest container, right? And again, not if something's super abusive, not mm-hmm. if something like, not, nothing like that. We're not telling people stay with your abuser, but when it's not abusive, when it's not toxic, it's just hard. Yeah. Staying and learning how to work things out, developing those skills. And again, for people who have kids, modeling those skills for kids it's really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do I, that on our own. I hear you. And it, it, it is an opportunity to build like, you know, personal resiliency. Totally. Um, and it is an opportunity to, to grow in ways that, that you could, you could never imagine really like reach new heights. It really reach new heights of, of consciousness, which is always going to have, have dividends. Yeah. This is why I love dating. So since that, last long-term relationship that I mentioned earlier, I've just taken my time. One of the things that I realized, one of my patterns was I would, I would just kind of like fall into relationships. I did that for like 11 years mm. from like my early twenties into my early thirties. I would just, if I liked someone, we would just like end up together. Yeah. And I didn't realize until later on, I was like, Oh, I can like someone and not necessarily choose to be with them because we're not compatible. Yeah. I used to be real overrun by chemistry. And then I was like, Oh, I really want to be paying attention to like chemistry compatibility and communication, not just the chemistry, you know? And um, so I take my time and and I love being on my own. God, I I love it. Mm -hmm. I do desire a partner. I believe, like I feel, I do feel the energy. Like I know there is someone for me and Mm -hmm. I trust like all in divine timing. But even when I'm in a place where I'm not necessarily pursuing that, I like to date because it's just good to get other stimuli. It's good to get you know, a lot of us exist in our bubbles too, right? Like a lot of us are spending time with people who are like us, think like us, look like us mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, at yeah. least ideologically, if not culturally and in other way or education wise or socioeconomic status wise and things like this. So one of my favorite things about dating is getting to interact with people who are not like me, who are not like my friends or whatever, and to just stay, stay connected, stay plugged into like the world exists, a very large, amazing world exists outside of my bubble. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is one of the very fun things of dating, you know, particularly when you, you have a lot of self-awareness and realize that the other person is, is, is not someone to be a recipient of blame. You know, you, you need to like handle that yourself. It can be so fun to just dive into the pool of, someone who's completely different than you and, and knowing the person's like different and like they, they see the world differently than, than you do. They come from a different culture than, than, than you have, maybe have some opposite ideas. And it's not so much that there's a rightness or wrongness to us, but there's like a, a richness in yes. the ex- exploration. I love uh, the word richness for that. Uh, so, you know, clearly this is, has gone too, too fast for me, but you know, <laughs> I, I want to be respectful of your time. And, and I also want to give listeners an opportunity, you know, to work with you uh, if, if they're so inclined. So Elizabeth, how do people reach you? They can go to my website and go to untameyourself.com 
or they can go find me on Instagram at Elizabeth Yalto. I have one of those little link trees in my Instagram bio and everything I'm ever doing is always in that magical little link. Oh, okay. It's in the link tree. All right. Fantastic. Well, Elizabeth, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time and appearing on this podcast. And I know my listeners are really going to like benefit from this. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great questions, by the way. It's always so fun to be on this side of the interview. Ah, thank you. All right. Take care. See you later. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Healerology. This podcast exists to make your life better. Before you go, I want to bring your attention to my four-week one-on-one coaching program. This program is for women who need dating results that are different and better than the ones they're getting. Let me help you with all of my tools of self-development, spirituality, and hundreds of client engagements to transform you into a woman that dates with confidence and joy and easily attracts the partner that is perfect for you. Dating can be fun and you can be successful at it every time. To learn more, go to my Instagram at innerpeaceadvisor and click the link in my bio or just DM me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Healerology Podcast. I greatly appreciate your time and presence. Please make sure you're subscribed to this show. Until next time, stay healthy and go within.